Consumers really are the ones that drive corporations and governments to take action. There's been a huge push on making legislation and taking action around plastics. There's action that just needs to be taken by both the government and corporations. From New York University's Center for Sustainable Business, this is the Sustainability Project, a podcast featuring peer-to-peer conversations with Stern alumni on their role in advancing the most pressing environmental and social issues of our time. We talk about challenges, opportunities, what drives them, and how they view the world. I'm your host, Tim Quinn, Stern Class of 2016. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Sydney Grushak, Stern Class of 2015. Sydney works at Unomia, an independent consultancy dedicated to helping their clients achieve better environmental and commercial outcomes. During her time at Unomia, Sydney has worked on a broad range of environmental projects for clients across North America, including work related to the deposit system for beverage containers in Ontario and the governor of New York's proposal to expand the bottle bill. Prior to Unomia, Sydney spent time at IBM as a senior consultant. Sydney, thanks for joining the program. Thanks for having me. So my background is a a bit varied. I, in college, studied environmental studies and spent a few years in the public sector and local government in the offices of sustainability for the city of Atlanta and then for a local government on the North Shore of Long Island. And then found that my work, while interesting and I cared about it, It was a little slow for me working in government, so I decided to transfer to the private sector and went to pursue my MBA at Stern in order to make that transition. And at Stern, I explored the variety of roles in the social impact and sustainability spaces. The year between my two years at Stern, I interned at Edelman in the business and social purpose practice, which I felt to be a really good stepping stone between sustainability and then going toward focusing on corporations and in the publics in the private sector. And then after school, I went to IBM as a management consultant and spent three years outside of the social impact sustainability space, just doing management consulting, working mostly in the energy and utilities realm, and then decided after those three years that I was ready to transition back to the space that I really cared about and was near and dear to my heart, which was sustainability. And so I was looking at roles in a variety of different niches in the sustainability space, CSR, social enterprises, and then the more sustainability and social impact consulting um, firms. And I found Unomia, which is a consultancy that's focused mostly on waste and resource management. So really along recycling and plastics, and we do a lot of work around policy and strategy and helping companies to deal with their products and services at the end of life. So I found it to be a really good intersection of the business and sustainability parts of my background. So I'm really getting to use all the skills that I built up along the way in my current role. Not only does your role seem to blend or maybe touch on the private sector as well as the public sector, but you've spent parts of your career in the public sector. And then when you were at IBM and Edelman as well in the private sector, they're often dealing with the same issues, but from different angles in a sense. 
how would you describe maybe some of the differences in terms of how players in the public and private sectors approach those issues? Yeah, it's interesting because there obviously are very different approaches. You know, governments make policy which compels the actors in society to act in a certain way. So it makes company hit certain goals or limits the emissions of vehicles and is really using the stick more than the carrot often. Although sometimes, you know, tax incentives and things can can work in that way as well. But the private sector looks more for solutions that can still drive the economy forward and are really win-wins. They can be good for the company as well as trying to tackle these broader societal issues. And they're often driven by what does the consumer want and what's important to them and as well as sometimes top-down wanting to do the right thing. But there's different drivers between the the motivations for acting in the public and private sector, I feel. Although both can definitely be influenced by the voter or the consumer in a sense and, and the issues that start to really build up in society and how they respond to them. I've found that in the corporate world, companies seem to be motivated by what their peers are doing. So if you're in an industry and, and one peer is taking action on sustainability or, or other ESG issues, then other companies will kind of, the peers will follow quickly behind it. In the government world, I can't say I've seen the same thing. What have you observed in your time in both worlds? I think that's a good point. In the corporate world, it's good to be seen as an innovator and something that can really give you an edge with the consumer. And a lot of the issues related to sustainability, especially in the past decade, can sometimes fall into that category. So it's a little bit of a difference maker. But then at some point, it becomes table stakes. And so you have to be showing that you're doing certain things in order to be not seen as someone that lags behind. But in government, especially in the current very partisan climate that we're facing here in the U.S., I think that there's more of a long-term view with short-term actions. So it's like we are looking to make a long-term impact, but in the short term, this is the action that the voters will really respond to. So it depends on where you are across the world and across the country and what will really elicit that reaction in the short term. When you and I had caught up earlier, I remember you said that you're pointing in a way to the symbiotic relationship between governments and consumers and corporations. And I, I thought it was interesting because you said that while companies have money to invest and you were mentioning earlier driving, doing things to help drive the economy forward, where the relationship comes into play is that government has the power of holding these corporations accountable and consumers have the, have the important role of helping drive preferences. So speak a little bit about that and how they kind of work together in tandem. So I think it's a very important relationship and change in society can't happen through any one of those players alone. I think it has to be a joint effort because you can set lofty goals and the only way to actually make sure they're met is to put investment behind them. And so in our current society, there's a lot of power in the corporations who control most of the money and the direction of action in the country. And in many cases, they want to do the right thing, but 
being held accountable to the shareholder, you also have to show short-term growth and profit and things like that. And so sometimes longer-term investments aren't always the priority of corporations. But when government does set standards and targets and rules for for behavior, I guess, to a certain degree of corporations, then it really drives the most change. An interesting example of this symbiosis is emission standards, that debate that's going on in the U.S. where President Obama set emission standards and then all the automakers were working to innovate and try and meet these standards. And then there was the rollback. As you know, one of the first things that President Trump did as he came into office was invite the Auto Alliance, manufacturers, auto dealers to the White House to talk about the importance of auto manufacturing and that sector of our economy. And he followed that up shortly by going to Detroit. I'm here to announce that those standards that were set, uh, that we are obligated to, to evaluate, we are determining, I am determining that those standards are inappropriate and should be revised. A lot of the automakers were actually against that rollback because they had already put the put the investment behind it and the consumers were in favor of it. And then there was consistency among their different markets to have these higher standards. And so they didn't want to have the divided expectations in different areas. So it was an interesting case study in seeing how automakers might not have taken such a such a step by themselves at first, but then it actually was in line with their business strategy in the long term going forward. And then they were reluctant to walk that back. So I think that shows this interplay there and, and why it's important for sort of alignment between the three different agencies. And, and consumers really are the ones that drive, I'd say, corporations and governments to take action. In the past five years, really, there's been a huge push on making legislation and taking action around plastics and plastics waste. And this has been driven in large part due to social media and some videos around sea turtles with straws up their nose and animals getting caught in plastic garbage and things like that. But then has become has led to such a a strong sentiment among the public that there's action that just needs to be taken in response to that by both the government and corporations. So it's a real problem for uh, Alaska, but it's a problem for the entire world because plastic pollution and marine debris befoul all our oceans and hurt global coastal communities. About 8 million metric tons of this trash goes into the sea every year. Um, If you stack five grocery bags full of plastic trash on every square foot of shoreline in the world and kick it into the ocean, that's the scale of what we're doing every year. And at this rate, there will be more plastic by weight in the ocean than fish by weight in the ocean uh, by 2050. I think about your work at Unomia. It Mm -hmm. seems like you're at the nexus of everything that you just described. Why don't we talk about a little bit about the work that you've done, maybe some of the recent projects, kind of bring it to life a little bit. Sure. 
Yeah, I think that's actually a great segue. So I'll give a, a couple different examples. We do probably half our work for the public sector and half our work for the private sector. But the work that we do is is somewhat similar and it's used to drive strategy and drive policy predominantly. We did a project recently for one of the largest beverage and snack food manufacturers in the world, which was that they made some goals around making their packaging recyclable, compostable, or biodegradable, all their packaging by 2025. And we needed to help them ensure that that was possible to happen. So we did a study on like 27 of their top markets across the world and looked at the infrastructure for recycling and composting that was in place there to make sure that people actually had access and so that the material would actually be able to be recycled, even if, you know, the material is a material that somewhere could be recycled. If it's not, according to the US FTC, if 60% of the population doesn't actually have access to that infrastructure, it's not considered recyclable or compostable, et cetera. So we did a study looking at into that infrastructure and how it's developing and the outlook for it over the next five years. So that's an example of they made these goals but how is that going to be actualized? How is it going to happen? What steps do they need to take to ensure that they can actually meet it? So that's a good example there of a company trying to make sure that these targets and goals that they announce are actually possible and are actually something that they're able to do and then not greenwashing, essentially. On the flip side, we're also doing a project currently for Washington State, a plastics packaging study. So Washington is deciding that they're going to implement policy to better tackle um, how plastic packaging is managed. So, you know, this is everything that's not the actual product that you're using. If it's a plastic bottle or the wrap that your gum package comes in or anything like that is considered packaging. So it's most of the plastic waste that's out there, really. And so they wanted to do best practices on what's happening across the world, but then also to quantify like the amount of plastic that's entering their environment, how much is recycled, how much is disposed, and then look at a variety of different scenarios and policy interventions and see what the the impacts of those would be. So we did some environmental and economic scenario analysis and modeling to determine the impacts of different policy interventions. You mentioned the importance of modeling and forecasting impact. As everyone has seen, COVID-19 has made that kind of process extraordinarily difficult for members of the private sector and and even uh, organizations that track the public sector. What have you found in your line of work in terms of what the pandemic has done and the economic shutdowns to assessing impact going forward? I think it's really underscored the importance of having resilient systems and of making assumptions about the future that are conservative, but very forward looking. So in terms of environmental sustainability, the argument, you know, often is that, oh, it's such a big cost in the short term and we just don't have the leeway to to make that investment, even though it may have benefits a lot further down the line. And there actually have been a lot of cases where 
the pandemic has been used, I don't want to say it's an excuse, but has been used by opponents of a lot of sustainability legislation to try and roll some of it back. There are a lot of plastic bag bans that were temporarily suspended. We've talked about the bottle deposit programs. There were a lot of those that were suspended for fear of contact and contamination and that sort of thing. But that while that's valid, you know, you definitely want to do everything to reduce the risk in this scenario. I think it does underscore the fact that we need to be more forward looking and we need to have systems that really reduce the risk of of our society to short-term thinking. And we need to make sure that our waste systems are as strong as possible so that we can have waste that's taken away from us and managed in a clean and secure way, but also get the most value out of those products and not rely on new production. You know, there's been a lot of interruptions in supply chains during this pandemic as well. And if you move toward a more circular economy where you can reuse things that we already have and not rely on production of virgin materials and things like that, I think those types of interventions and that type of thinking will just make our society more resilient in the long term and better able to cope with interruptions such as this. So while obviously there's short-term things that must be done, I think it does underscore the importance of of looking further down the line and and making a, a society that has more resilience in general. And, and sustainability, in its essence, is, is about that. It's about making it so that we can live in harmony with the rest of the planet as much as possible, as cliche as that might sound, but that's the, that's really the basis behind it. Well, cliche, because it's true. (laughs) You mentioned ways you focus in waste management, put it into context for us. How big of a driver would you say waste management is for just environmental damage that we see across the world? Yeah, you know, it depends sort of what you're talking about. If you're talking in terms of climate change and and greenhouse gas emissions and that sort of thing, it's still a fairly sizable chunk, like the actual processing of, of waste and, you know, even the amount of vehicles on the road to deal with that waste and, and things like that. But if you're talking in terms of pollution and the plastic waste that's going into the oceans and microplastics that, you know, right now we still don't know the impact that that has on health. I think there's a lot of connections that can be made with different aspects of the environment that all connect. I think it's a lot of interwoven factors. And so waste management is important. And like I was alluding to before, the goal is for there to be less waste in general and for us to move towards a society that doesn't have to deal with as much waste because we create products that are reusable or can be turned into something else. And we talk about this waste hierarchy, which there's the reduce, reuse, recycle, that old term, which it's in that order for a very specific reason. We're trying to not just recycle and not just reduce the things that are getting sent to landfill, but to create products that are 
that are lasting and to design things that are made to be taken apart and so that the materials can be reused rather than the whole thing having to be trashed because now everything's too intermixed. So really just bringing, bringing it back to, again, living in a way that has the least impact and being able to make the most out of the resources that we have, which are very limited. Throughout this conversation, we've talked about incentives and kind of the role of the, of the public sector in, I guess, providing regulations. What role do you think creativity and innovation will play in us making headway and maybe even corporations really making headway on some of these underlying problems? Yeah, I think that's a great question and the exciting part of of this role because there are a lot of a lot of innovative things that have been done at the policy level, but also at the design stage. I saw recently a panel which included a guy who was creating packaging material out of mycelium, which are like the roots of mushrooms, essentially, which was really cool. And so there's things like that, which definitely can look to the future and and help us on that journey to make less waste in the world. And then on the other hand, corporations have to be looking to to make the right decisions because there is creativity on the other side as well. Like for instance, there are there's something called ethane cracking, which is a procedure in the production of natural gas that is used to then make plastics. So it's like a lot of these big energy companies that are already controlling a big portion of the GDP in general are seeing themselves losing profits due to oil prices falling and things like that and are now being innovative in the ways that they create these materials, which might not be as beneficial. So there's a lot of room for creativity and there's new policies that are emerging all the time. There's extended producer responsibility, which we work on a lot, which is getting producers to take responsibility for the end of life management of the materials that they produce. And that's starting to gain traction in the U.S., which is an exciting thing. And at every stage along the life cycle of products and within every sector of of society, there's room for creativity and innovation and, and new ways to manage waste, new ways to design waste out of materials, new ways to make things that we already use out of out of new materials. And yeah, I think it's only sort of a limit of imagination in terms of, of where we can go. And there have been so many innovations that are really heartening. On that note, what would you say has been your favorite part of a career in sustainability? For me, sustainability was always something that I cared about. From the time I was a little kid, I like called up the natural resources, the state natural resources um, agency when I saw like some oil leaking from a boat and um, things like that. And I've always felt like very connected to nature and to work in it has been my lifelong passions coming into coming into play. But at the same time, it's been great over the past decade to just see how sustainability has really moved more into the mainstream and how the industry is growing and getting integrated into corporations 
10 years ago, it was like some companies had a director of sustainability. And now, like we were talking about, it's really like table stakes and they're being given more responsibility and more influence and being integrated more into companies. And so that's really exciting to see and the uptick in interest of the upcoming generations and the expectation that this is something that companies and the government and and people should care about is is a really great thing. It makes me feel like I'm aligned with the world and to be able to work in it and be a part of that movement, however small a piece, just feels like my work is, is important. And so that's my favorite part for sure. It's definitely just feeling passionate about the work that I do and about the industry that I'm part of. We look forward to hearing more about your work at Unomium. Thanks for joining the program. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. To learn more about Sydney and Unomia, you can visit unomia.co.uk. The Sustainability Project is hosted and edited by me, Tim Quinn, and sponsored by the NYU Stern Center for Sustainable Business. Visit their website, stern.nyu.edu slash sustainability, or find them on LinkedIn or Twitter at NYU Stern CSB. We hope you join us for our next conversation as we sit down with more Stern alums to hear about their stories in ESG and sustainability.